Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today is your one and only, the wonderful Caleb Wells. <laughs> How are y'all? You doing wonderful today? I am. I I was telling our guest today, who we'll introduce shortly, you guys are going to love him, that I've spent the whole day in sprint planning, so my brain's a little fried. But other than that, I'm good. <laughs> other than that, all day <laughs> sprint planning? That's not... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I feel, I feel bad for you, but... <laughs> Thank It'll you. get better. It'll get better. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests that we've ever had on. It's Mads Christensen. Hello, hey, everybody. Mads. Hey, you're coming to us straight from your garage. That's right. That's where I hang out. I spend uh, half my waking hours in my garage. Does that got the uh, best acoustics in your house? You know, <laughs> probably doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but but we can see the background that it is actually very nice. You've got it furnished and everything. I had it insulated. I had it painted, drywalled, put in a floor. Instead of the concrete floor, I put like some, some vinyl planking on top. So it looks kind of has this wood floor look. And then, yeah, some furniture, some couches, and uh, I made it kind of nice. But <clears throat> don't be fooled. It is still a garage. It still works like a garage. I can park a car in here, even though I probably wouldn't. My desk is the garage, sort of my workbench, where I got the saw up here. I got my screwdrivers, hammers and stuff like right here next to my laptop. So nice. um, it is very much sort of a, uh, it's a workspace in more than one uh, aspect. Yeah. Right? So No, that's great. Yeah. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. You know, Mads, we were actually talking about this recently, that you were our first official guest on... Uh, first guest, yep. First the, guest ever. The podcast. Yep. Wow. Our, almost our two Marilyn years ago. Monroe guest. Yep. <laughs> right? I feel honored. <laughs> wow. So it's and, been, and, it's been yeah. two years. You know, yeah, Catch and we were actually talking. <laughs> well, I was gonna say we we were like, why haven't we gotten Mads back on? Right, we we really need to to figure this out. It's been too long. But now is one of the best times ever, I think, because there are some important things mm. coming out soon. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Maybe people have heard about this thing called Visual Studio 2022. I've heard about it, but I'm not sure what the big deal is. What's, <laughs> what is the big deal again? <laughs> it's a, I feel like it's a historic release of Visual Studio. Like it's the, mm -hmm. it's the sort of the first 64-bit version of Visual Studio. And so we announced this back in April. Right. We released a blog post talking about the vision for Visual Studio going forward. And like on that was the notion of 64-bit. And of course, as you can probably imagine, that's a huge ordeal like to actually go ahead and, and rewrite parts of visual studio recompile all the things and whatnot to 64 bit was uh something that took a long time and so when we announced this in april we'd already started the work long before that right so we we knew we could do it by the time we announced that we were going to do it <laughs> so this is something that's years in the making it's a yep. huge huge leap forward and if I recall correctly, when we had you on two years ago, we were talking about that in the core and the evolution there and where it was going. And I believe Sean even said, well, you know, 
what are we going to do with Visual Studio? And when is it going to be 64-bit? And we were like, that's several years away. You guys beat our our guess, our best <laughs> estimation. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it is. And speaking of .NET Core, that's also something we're going to look at going forward. Like, not for 2022, mm-hmm. but wouldn't it be nice if Visual Studio could run on .NET Core? I think so. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's not something that we have fully planned. It's like a huge investigation. You can, you can imagine if we were to have, have looked at running Visual Studio on .NET Core and converted to 64-bit at the same time, you can imagine just the amount of rewrite we're talking about here. This would be basically almost throwing out Visual Studio and starting over, right? That's not really feasible. That's not, we don't want to go there. So it, we take it a step at a time. And, uh, and you know, the cool thing is that we get to, uh, to be along for the ride and see those improvements as they happen between the major updates, but also within the minor updates, like all the updates that we see to the different versions of Visual Studio that we release, like on a monthly basis, there's, there's a, at least a couple of updates to Visual Studio, right? And we're going to continue that so we can get those improvements out to people as fast as we can make them. And, uh, that's across the board. It's not just bug fixes and stuff like that. It's also, and very much so, new features and performance improvements and scalability improvements and all this sort of good things that come with and is now possible because of 64-bit. So people people often don't realize that there are some performance benefits that come to 64-bit. It is not just about scalability. The fact that you can use more memory means that, hey, we can we can open larger solutions with like a thousand projects and they can all lo- be loaded into memory, right? That is sort of the quintessential idea and an example when we talk about 64-bit is this notion of, of scaling to larger objects in memory, right? Or, f- or more me- objects in memory. But the fact is that on top of that, we can, we can do some things that significantly improve performance because of it. And so one is that we can actually run the .NET garbage collector more effectively and efficiently. So instead of it having to garbage collect all the time, it can do that sort of like the server garbage collector will do if you have ASP.NET running in the cloud or something like that. It has a server mode that more efficiently utilizes the memory that's available. So it spends less cycles garbage collecting. And that frees up cycles to do things that Visual Studio, you tell Visual Studio to do, such as compiling your stuff or opening files or executing commands or whatnot. And so that's kind of just an added benefit that almost comes, not quite, but almost comes for free when you go to 64-bit. So that's a very, very other exciting aspect. And then there's a bunch of small things. So just to mention one interesting thing is like when you call the the native Windows APIs, like if your Windows is 64-bit, calling that from a 64-bit process is also more efficient than through the 32-bit emulation layer. So a bunch of stuff, even though that doesn't matter that much, it does matter a bit. So so you get these kind of things for free. And so you should expect to see a lot more sort of in that in these in these areas about scaling and performance as we uh, as we move along to the final release of Visual Studio 2022, but also in the subsequent updates that's coming. So one thing that we also talked about two years ago was one of my favorite things that I was looking forward to, and that was vertical tabs. And we did get vertical tabs in 2019. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually going to get the ability to uh, make them colored again. Yeah. So. So that was great too. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to 2022. <clears throat> I think it was in the eighth update to Visual Studio 2019 that we introduced the uh, vertical tabs. Yep. But actually, it yep. could be in the fourth. Oh my. Anyway, it's been there for quite a while, and so that's being updated now with the with the color tabs as well. And that's actually really nice. You can organize uh, by color, by project, or file extension, or something like that. So that was one of the highest requested features that we've ever had in Visual Studio. Yeah, vertical, ta- vertical tabs yeah. was number one. I think number two was colored tabs. 
And this actually brings an interesting point because, you know, whenever we build a new feature and we blog about it, half of the comments in the blog post are from people saying, who cares? This is not for me. We should like make debugging faster or fix this bug that I opened three years ago that you still haven't fixed yet. Right. That's 50% of people think like that, at least in the comments, the, the, the people who comment. But what we often forget is just how important those little things are. For some people, little things like color taps or vertical taps, but they mean so much to so many people. It's easy to forget that Visual Studio, for a lot of people, is their home. They spend eight hours a day in Visual Studio. They want to customize it, just like you want to customize your house, right? You want to decide what color drapes you have on the wall and stuff like that. And the same is true of Visual Studio. So it's very easy to dismiss features that are coming in as being like, hey, I'm never going to use this. This is a waste of time. It's stupid. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it probably wasn't. Like, we don't just do things because we think they're fun. We do things because we think they're impactful. And very few things are impactful to 100% of users. That's just how it is. Anyone that builds features for any product knows this, including, I'm sure, some of the people who comment, (laughs) (laughs) who makes those comments on our blogs, right? So I was going to say a few comments on vertical tabs. (laughs) 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 Well, I also know that it's fairly typical that you're likely to get more negative feedback or people coming and complaining or saying, why isn't this fixed? And you're going to get people saying, hey, thank you for doing this. That was awesome. Yeah. Right. That's just, that's human nature. Yep. But I know Sean is very happy and it sounds like a lot of other developers are too, which is very cool. Yeah. I mean, we, it's, a, it's a balance we try to strike all the time, right? Mm. Between what are the features that people are requesting? So we have the, we give the ability for people to open feature requests with us. Like we have the developer community.visualstudio.com where people can do that. And some of these things, some of these feature requests have hundreds of votes. A few of them have a thousand votes, right? Including the the vertical tabs and the color tabs and a few more. Like running Visual Studio on ARM is, I think, currently the number one. So, which we can go into later if you, if you want to. But, but anyway, so we, we try to strike that balance between what are the things that people are like explicitly telling us they want the most versus what are the things that we have other reasons to believe are what is needed. Okay. And so that could be, hey, we, we know perf is an issue for certain types of customers in certain situations or certain project types. So we want to double down on improving performance for C++ IntelliSense, for instance, which C++ had absolutely done in Visual Studio 2022. The IntelliSense, the completion, and a bunch of other stuff in C++ is now much faster, right? Or specifically for like game development on C++. Like now we're like looking at a niche, but in that world, if Visual Studio wants to be the premier place to be for game developers, we have to make it a premier place to be. We can't just lure people and say, hey, come try Visual Studio. We'll even give it away for free. We have to make sure it also is the best place that they want to stay, right? So a lot of effort goes into like adding the IntelliCode AI engine to when you work with the Unreal Engine, for instance, to give you that sort of super completion based on scanning hundreds of, of repositories on how they use the Unreal Engine's APIs, for instance. Like we can do that, but that's of course specific to game development. So there's that versus colored tabs. They're both really important, right? Sometimes they're the same team that has to like prioritize one over the other. Sometimes they're different teams and we can do them in parallel and that's great. But those are kind of the the things that we we have to balance out. And uh, a lot of people, I think, have a hard time understanding that because it's Microsoft. You're thousands of people. Just throw more people at it. Like, why can't we just take all the top 100 feature requests and just do them all? Just do them now. And we like yeah, why can't you? we like everybody else have you know needs to hire people and and have a hard time doing that these these days right, and it doesn't scale. We've you learn what's it called the 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 mythical man month like you can't just throw more people at a problem and and see it exponentially 
or linearly scale, you know? Right. So, yep. so that's, that's true for us. Like it is for everybody else, but it's, we get that question a lot. I think a lot of people think that they have that mindset that, Oh, it's Microsoft. Just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. Just, you can just allocate a few people from office, right? <laughs> because they're not busy or, or they can get some of your people for, for a feature later on or something. And of course that's not quite how things work, but so there is always that sort of prioritization balance dance that we have mm -hmm. to do and and sometimes we get like these comments from people that don't quite understand and sometimes we have people that reply to those comments other users that like say hey no actually i use this all the time it's a great thing and, and sometimes we have to come in and and mediate some things and, and uh, but it, it's part of it and it's part of what makes it fun and it's part of what makes it such a great community of visual studio users is that there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions but at the end of the day even the people with the bad, not the bad opinions, but maybe like a little bit of a trolling behavior, they do that from a good place, from a good heart. They're just fans of Visual Studio. They want it to be as best as it can possibly be. And it's easy to forget that from, from, for us sometimes because it can, be, it can be daunting to initiate discourse with someone that seems very negative or dismissive mm. or something like that. How about, uh, how about open source Visual Studio so that we can you know, do some of those things that are high priority to ourselves? Oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? I think that would be great. So I, I don't, so, th so there's absolutely no plans of open sourcing Visual Studio. Let's just get that out of the way. With that being said, there's a bunch of stuff in Visual Studio that is open source. And it seems like more and more of the new development is done on GitHub. Uh, but the core of Visual Studio is not. And I think that's as much for historic reasons. Like a lot of it is still like an old native code and using kind of just, yeah, it's just old, old components and all like doesn't, it doesn't lend itself well to go open source. And think about it this way. The purpose of going open source is so that users or people can clone your project, open it somewhere and run it so they can see their modifications. Now, Visual Studio's code base is not one that if you put it on GitHub, people could just clone it and hit F5 and it would run. And so it doesn't really make sense. If you can't run it, you can't see your changes are working. Therefore, you can't send a pull request. Therefore, what you really are getting is sort of a source open, not open source. You can look at the source code, but you can't modify it, right? That's in effect what you get if we just put Visual Studio on, on GitHub. Uh, but but just the size of the repo, I, I don't even know what it is. I feel like it's about six gigs without binaries. That's just like C sharp and C plus plus files, pretty much. Could the uh, could the extension system be expanded? You know, like the vertical tabs and colored tabs couldn't be done through an extension because it was in the core and things like that, and it couldn't be done asynchronously. Could the power of of extensions be expanded? Yeah, but there are limits to it. So you're you're exactly right. The reason why the tabs couldn't be manipulated by an extension was because an extension is loaded too late. The UI controls of tabs have already been created and established and painted in the UI by the time the extension loads. It doesn't matter how many more APIs we add, that is still going to be the case. We're not going to load extensions earlier than we do today. We made that change in, in um, 2019 because it turned out that a lot of extensions loaded you know, registered themselves to automatically load when Visual Studio started up. And of course, the issue there is that that's going to slow down Visual Studio startup time. One of the biggest things that people are complaining about is that Visual Studio takes too long to start up. Well, it turned out if we if we delay loading the extensions till after Visual Studio is up and fully been idle for 250 milliseconds or something like that, then the startup is much faster. So it's very unlikely we would go back to allowing you to load you know, as part of Visual Studio's own initialization phase. So for this particular case, this particular, the vertical tabs and the colored tabs, 
it's unlikely that we will be able to do that unless there's a big rewrite where, but you might see a flicker. You might see tabs open oop, and then they turn colored after, after a little while, after the extension load. Like maybe we could do something like that, which you actually can do today because it's WPF. You can walk the, you can walk the UI control tree, right? So you can do it, but you're going to get sort of that jumpy experience. I'm assuming you guys have worked with some of the larger companies that make extensions for Visual Studio for the release of the 64 version. Can you tell us how that's going? What differences are there for these companies? How's it going to improve things overall? Yep, absolutely. So yeah, the, the extensibility team at Visual Studio works with with everyone who wants to work with them. And so it can be hard sometimes because a lot of there's a lot of indie developers uh, that has immensely popular extensions. Uh, but they're just like some person in their garage, <laughs> right? And so they can be hard to reach sometimes. The email goes in the spam folder and you might never know their real name. You know, something like that. And then there are the bigger sort of partners. There's a more established relationship with them. And so that's a different story. But what we tr- have always tried to do, or at least in my memory of, of, of Visual Studio Extensibility, has been to come out very early with information on how do you migrate your extension or how do you add support to an extension for the next upcoming version of Visual Studio. And to do that as soon as as possible, as early as possible. And so in 2019, Visual Studio 2019, 18 months in advance, we knew we were going to shift extension load to be after Visual Studio had started up and not while it started up. And we were able to tell people 18 months in advance. We started with the partners to, to get their early feedback, and then we opened it up like a year in advance for everybody. So we were out very, very early. And that was a huge success because by the time 2019 was released, we had over a thousand extensions that supported Visual Studio 2019. Like a record, that's a record high number. Absolutely staggering. This time, it's a little bit different because first of all, we weren't sure we could do the 64-bit until we actually announced it in April. Like we made the call like two weeks before or something like that, right? So we didn't have that much of an advance notice this time. So that's one change. The second change is as part of moving to 64-bit, some of the old extensibility APIs, you know, it's, it's, it's most of it is like calm interrupt, like old stuff, right? That relies on private interrupt assemblies. So that holds the interfaces, the calm interfaces. So you code against the calm interface that usually has like a C-sharp wrapper on it, even though it's, it's a calm thing. And when you move to 64-bit, it turned out that some of those interfaces were kind of wrong, <laughs> For even for a 32-bit, but it was never, but you would never find out. But by moving to 64-bit, all of a sudden, it showed the, the the issues showed themselves. And so, and I, I'm actually not an expert in any of this sort of stuff. I've never written a line of native code in my life. But my understanding is that something like, if you can imagine, if you do, you can imagine this in C Sharp or any language. If you have an enum and with like 10 items in it, and you can assign an integer value per item, like in your in your definition of the enum, right? So typically you do like one, two, what is it? One, two, four, eight, 16. That's how you no- number your, so that there can never be collisions, right? Like, so if you want to flag them, you see, you can add multiple. They will never collide. There will never be a collision. You can add one and two, and they will never collide with four because that turns out to be number three, right? Anyway, something like that. But it turned out that some of those enums or whatever in the in the 32-bit versions of the uh, interrupt assemblies did not adhere to this. And once you move them to a 64-bit address space, those collisions started to become a reality. So we knew that we were not going to be backwards compatible on an API level. We had to make some changes. So then the clever engineers thought, well, if we're going to change some of these interfaces, and it's only some of them, if we're going to change some of them, we might as well fix some other things that could be better. 
we might as well simplify some things or create overloads for some of the methods that are more sort of, let's say, .NET friendly. And so they went ahead and did that. And so we do have a set of breaking changes that we normally don't have this time around, not to this, not in this scope or volume. And so it's it's taken a little bit longer for people to upgrade than it did before. And what's been really, really cool about it is that everyone is okay with it. That's the biggest surprise I've had is just the extension community has been so understanding of this and see that, you know, this is the way it has to be if we want 64-bit Visual Studio. And they do want that. Everybody seems to want that, right? And so because there's that understanding, there's not been pushback. And I think right now, as, as of today, I, I just looked, uh, we have 350 extensions available already and Visual Studio 2022 has not shipped yet, right? Still only in preview. So uh, we're going to get close to a thousand, but we probably won't get there, but we'll see. Well, it's great that you already have that many. I mean, I, th- I think that's with what you're having to do to make the shift. If you can even get close to that thousand, you guys have done your job, right? I feel like you yeah. know, you've hit it out of the ballpark. So, And it awesome. doesn't, it's, it's not the number. It's the, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's the ones that are like the ones that block you from adopting Visual Studio 2022. Right. We want those there. Access. Yeah. You know? So, yep. so you could say that it's, it's the, there's a few big extension and then there's a long tail of small ones. It's like that mm-hmm. hockey stick. It's mm-hmm. very true for, for extensions. And so, so there's been, you know, of course, a big effort in making sure that all the big ones are there, the ones that most people are using, mm-hmm. but it's important that everything is there. You, you'll be surprised at what can block people from adopting the latest version. Some of them is like, they're literally blocked because they use a tool to that helps them compile their their solution let's say so they cannot actually go to the next version they are literally blocked and then there's another category of people that are like oh i just like this background this theme that is for 2019 this custom theme someone made that made visual studio yellow let's say i can't live without it so there's there's that category of extensions too and extension users and so it's like uh, we have to kind of get everyone, I feel like we have to get everyone to advance their extensions to support 2022. But it seems like the severity of them is a, are a little different, right? So Different, yeah. yeah. So uh, can it, it still use the old 32-bit extensions? We use both, either one? Yeah, you, yeah. Yep. so 32-bit extensions, if they're compiled for any, co- what's it called, any platform, what's it called, against any, mm-hmm. any CPU. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if the extension is written in .NET, which like 99% of them are, and it's compiled against any CPU, then probably the only thing you have to do is to update the NuGet packages so that you, instead of referencing the Visual Studio SDK 2019 or earlier, you reference the 2022 version. Because... That's where we have those assemblies that contain those COM interfaces that now changed, right? So it might actually compile just fine, or it will compile just fine against the 2019 version of the SDK. And depending on what you're doing, it might actually run just okay because you're not using any of those interfaces that have breaking changes. So it may just work. It may just work. And I have several extensions of mine that just worked, like a lot of them actually. But if you're using any of those other APIs, you have to update the, the NuGet reference to the, the VSSDK 2022. And in some cases, what you can do is you can split your extension. So you have, we call it splitting, but basically such that you move all your code into a shared project. And then you add an additional uh, Visual Studio extension project that references that shared project. And that is what you then target 2022 with the new NuGet package for the v- VSSDK 2022. Right, so you basically have you maintain two separate extensions. You have two entries on the marketplace. One is targeting 2019 and below, and one is tra- targeting 2022 and above. Let's say so. That's that's typically the different ways people do it. Sometimes what I do, if I have one where I'm like, 
here's an extension I have. I don't maintain it that much anymore, but it's kind of done and people are using it a lot. But I feel like I don't have to maintain it for older versions of Visual Studio. If I have to make a change, I'll just do it for Visual Studio 2022 and above. So in that case, what I'll do is that I will just take that extension, update it to use all the latest 2022 and then drop support for 2019, but give it a but upload it as a separate extension. So now you have two extensions. One is just called, you know, what it always was. And the other one, the new one is called the same. And then maybe in parenthesis, 64-bit. So people can see there's a difference. And that's the one that I'm going to update going forward. I'm not going to update the other one. So that's kind of the cheap way of doing it. And it works only if you have like low maintenance extension, which I have a lot of. So so there's different there's different ways you can go about it. And we're going to see people using a mix of all of these. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of people do what's easiest. So I'm kind of curious to see how many are, are dropping earlier versions versus how many people are splitting. And yeah, we'll see. Can you tell it to only show 64-bit? Like when you're on the list, say, filter to only 64-bit extensions? It does that. It does that already. Oh. So if, if you go to the extension top-level menu in Visual Studio and you, sh- you show the extension manager, on the online tab where it lists all the available extensions, it only lists the one that are compatible with your version of Visual Studio. That has been true for all Visual Studios. And so for 2022, that means the 64-bit compatible ones. If you go to the marketplace and say filter the whole marketplace for extensions that are only compatible with 2022, the same thing is true there. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum, and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people, and now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually had another question around something you said towards the beginning of the podcast when you were talking about the process you guys went through to determine if you could make it 64-bit and, and how to do that, right? You said that all the Visual Studio is not 64-bit. Can you maybe give us a little more detail into how that decision came about and, and what parts you were able to upgrade and what you haven't? And I'm sure you have a roadmap going forward, but just a little curious about, about that process. No, all of Visual Studio is 64-bit. Okay, so I misunderstood then. But not okay. all of Visual Studio is is managed code. Some of it is old native code, right? And uh, Got you. And have been harder maybe to maintain. And some of them are like old components that are not really maintained anymore. And so they would have had to, we would have to go back, find the source code kind of, and, and if we were lucky, just recompile them. And I'm sure sometimes that was that was the case. Uh, but in okay. some cases, we had to like probably make some modification. Gotcha. You know, so it's all that. But it's but when you think about the history of, of 64-bit with Visual Studio, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have ever looked in Task Manager when Visual Studio is running and you see all these child processes like service host right. There's a bunch of service host processes under it. And so, for instance, Roslyn runs out of proc in one of those service host processes and a bunch of other things doing the same thing. And they all run 64-bit. So over the years, we have shelled out or we have moved out code that could run in their own process as 64-bit, like the debugger, other things like that, so that, that we've been able to really take advantage of 64-bit where it mattered the most. And that's why we've been kind of reluctant on taking the executable dev and exe, which is Visual Studio's executable file. We haven't actually moved that till now because we've been moving all this other stuff. But we kind of hit a wall. Now we've moved everything that kind of that we could out of proc that the last thing to do was to to take dev and vexy as well. That was kind of now the limiting factor. 
Whereas before it was more like Ross or the debugger scenario. Because typically when you debug something, like let's say you debug a C app, which is, could be like a huge game or something like that, just loading symbols that they're loaded into memory, it would make Visual Studio crash with an out of memory exception, just hitting F5 on your game if you had like one of those big games, right? So that was one of the things that if we could move the debugger, the, the C debugger out of Prague and run 64 bit. We solved that problem. And we did in 2019 or 2017 when that happened. And so as we've gone on this journey, now we're here where it's like, okay, the last thing to do is to, to move Dev and Vexi. And so now we're full 64-bit app all over, whether it's native components or .NET or whatever it is, it's all 64-bit. Yep. Awesome. So how about uh, IntelliCode? What's going on there? Oh, man. That thing just gets smarter and smarter. So IntelliCode is kind of, just to bring everyone up to speed listening, like IntelliCode is, is our... AI engine that runs inside Visual Studio, an AI slash ML thing that can predict things based on what you're doing. So the AI aspect is, okay, it knows the context you're in. It understands the code you're writing. It knows, oh, you're in a method. You're about to write an if statement before you even, you just type the I. Oh, here's an if statement about to happen. Like, because I can look at how you otherwise you structure your code. That's how you, so the AI is able to scan and analyze the context of your code where your cursor is to predict what is it that you want to do. And then it has access to a machine learning model that is generated by, there's two ways of generating it. One is the one that just comes with Visual Studio that is has been generated based on thousands of open source GitHub repositories of uh, high quality repositories, the ones with, well, high quality, the ones with a lot of stars. <laughs> like how would you otherwise quantify it, right? To see what are common practices when you're talking to certain APIs and so on, but also like in, in certain contexts, what is it that people are doing? And so if you if you take that AI and that ML model and you you kind of put them together, you get like a prediction engine that is like out of this world. And when we started this, so Mark Wilson Thomas, who's the PM for that, and and his team are plus I think Microsoft Research was involved very early on and 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 the data scientists that are doing that are just they're getting better and better and better and the whole thing is getting more and more refined. So we started by having predictive IntelliSense. We could predict, oh, you here's a list of your IntelliSense list might be have a hundred entries in it, right? And we say, you're most likely to use one of these three. And we could bubble them up in the top and give a little star next to them. So you could see, hey, these are these are the ones that we think you might might use. And it's ridiculously accurate. We know that from telemetry. We can see if people complete from one of those, right? If they commit from those entries. And they do. But from there, it just kind of exploded, right? Because we also, because of that, we can actually kind of predict what your entire line of code is going to be. Okay, so that's crazy all of a sudden. You, you type the I in an if statement, and it will write the entire if statement for you based on other stuff in your code, based on things that the machine learning model can can understand about code in general and so on. It's absolutely bonkers. Ghosts uh, in the machine. Ghosts in the machine. And and some of the latest stuff is like even crazier. Like, you know, when you when you do find and replace on a file, so you want to rename something or whatever it is, and you want to find and replace just a string in the file. So that's easy. You look for, you have two input fields, right? You have one that has what you're looking for. And then you have the next one is like, what, what's the string you want to replace with? And then you just say, click the button that says replace all and boom, right? Done. But sometimes it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that because Visual Studio actually always had the ability to, for you to write regular expressions. So, but no one did that because who in their right minds wants to search and replace and like write a regular expression to hit their matches and whatnot, right? So now comes IntelliCode and the AI engine. And it will look at what you're trying to find 
it's then going to figure out if there are matches that isn't exactly what that is, but should be or could be. And it then offers you to write the regular expression for you. And it will show you what the result is going to be. It's like absolutely mind blowing. Like how they're doing this, I don't know. But so, so this thing just gets crazier and crazier. And so the, the challenge is how do we stay? So the way I look at this is like IntelliCodes is like one step ahead of you. It knows your next move before you do, or at least that's how I like to believe it should act, right? But there's a balance act there between how can it stay one step ahead of you and then at the same time, not be annoying, like suggesting mm. you do all sorts of things and you might not want them all or every time, right? And then it becomes annoying. So how do we, and so it actually became like a, a user experience, like a UX challenge to give predictions that are super easy to ignore or dismiss or something like that and only show up when we're pretty sure that that this is something you want, let's say. And, and I think the team is like striking that balance really, really well. I think it was a little off in the beginning, but I'm also on all the internal previews when I see it. Oh, whoa, that was really wrong. That's really annoying, right? And I kind of see that progression. And it's, it's yeah, it's fantastic. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm assuming this is IntelliCode, but I remember seeing an article or a video where someone was creating like a model class, right? Like like that would be associated with any framework or something. And IntelliCode was actually saying, oh, you're going to want these properties, ID, first name, last name, or whatever. And it was actually giving you those suggestions up front. That's, that's awesome and scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I forgot to mention that. I, I started by saying there are two ways you can get your machine learning model. And then I went all in on the, on the one that is scanning the public GitHub repository. The second one is you can, you can initiate a scan on your own source code on your own solution. And it doesn't take long. And then it's got that index. And now it will know how your colleagues are calling your own APIs or some APIs that you're using in your app and suggest that for you. And so the larger your solution, the more accurate this becomes and the more productive it allows you to be, right? But what's really cool about it is if you're a new developer or new to the team, you get to learn how your colleagues are would code things, right? It's it's really, really fantastic. But it's not something you have to manually click. You can set it up on a CI. It can do it on when you commit code to a Git repository. There's not, and if you do it that way, then there's nothing for you to like know about. If you just, you're new to the team, you install Visual Studio for the very first time, and you open the solution, and boom, you have that index. Right? There's nothing for you to know or for, for you to do. If it, follow, it can follow the repo. It, it's not checked into source control. It's not part of your repo. That's part of the magic. There is a storage mechanism that will retrieve it and automatically apply it. So your entire team gets it, and it is applicable to the commit hash. So regardless of what branch you're on or the state of your, your particular your Git status, like, you get the accurate predictions that's relevant to you. So it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I think I have something that really, you know, goes along with what we're talking about here. So <laughs> open the pod day pod bay door out. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's good. So Mads, this brings up uh, another point or topic with IntelliCode, right? In the local stuff. Right? You'll open a solution and you'll be working and you'll get that prompt at the top. Like, hey, you know, we can look through your code base and build this model, right? And in my current position, we have several legacy applications that, for lack of a better term, were poorly written, right? Didn't use proper patterns, was using MVC and instead of using the models that actually use Ajax JavaScript to talk back and forth with the controller, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so every time I get this pop-up in these, I just click no, 
<laughs> no, leave me alone because I don't want you to learn this. How does that work if you have a poorly written code base and you have junior developers coming on board? Can you? Is that something you could speak to? Well, I think that that raises a really interesting point, not just from an IntelliCode perspective, but just in general. Like, are you do you not have proper code review uh, protocols? You know, in on your team and so on and so forth. Because there's one thing. So in the beginning, when we did when we when we introduced at least in the private preview or internal preview IntelliCode, we were we were saying what we wanted to be able to show you the best practices, right? And so we can scan all these repos to come up with a machine learning model that will show you the best practices. But we also kind of at the same time, it dawned on us that this is not necessarily best practice. It's common practice. Those are hugely semantically different, <laughs> right? And so there, we don't make any promises that these are like best practices because how could we? We didn't write the source material. And so if you throw it at something that's spaghetti code made by people that didn't know better at the time or whatever, that those are, those are then the, the, the things that will be exposed. It will suggest maybe the wrong things based on those. I think that's just how it is. So yeah, you don't want to train a model on bad practices. So I'm doing the right thing then. Good. <laughs> I'm telling it, no, do not read this solution. <laughs> yeah, actually, what's really good about that is if you don't do that, if you don't train on, on those solutions that you know are kind of poorly written, Right. Then you're gonna get you're gonna get IntelliCode suggestions based on the GitHub repos that, right. on average, is probably a lot better written, right? And so you might actually get a big benefit in not training on those and still use IntelliCode to inform you about the, what the the better approaches could be. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. I've also been uh, reading a little bit about Hot Reload. Oh yeah. Get some changes there. Changes. Yeah. It's Hot <laughs> Reload everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> hot Reload is like the Again, like one of those amazingly magical things. And it sounds like I think everything is that. I, you know, when I said that, it's like, oh, yeah, I just said that about IntelliCode and 64-bit. And No, this is, this is really one of those things where Hot Reload basically makes it so that when you write an app and you want to make a change to any part of the source code, you don't have to close down the app, recompile it, and run it again to see those changes. It applies those changes to your running app. And it does that regardless of what app it is. Almost all .NET apps, ASP.NET, desktop, whatever, to C++, right? Anything. It could be a game. You can, you can, in a big game, see, so here's a crazy thing, right? You know that sometimes you're working on a part of an app or a game that to get to that state, it could take you a long time to get your app into that state that you're currently working on. And imagine if it was a game and you had to, and you had to like play like a level or two to get there or something, right? The performance benefit, or so not the product productivity benefit you'll have by staying in that state in the running app, not closing the app, go back to Visual Studio, change your things, and either click a button that says hot reload, like initiate the, the reload of the running app, or simply just save the file. There's a setting that says, hey, do you want to apply a hot reload when you save the file? So just save the file, control S, boom. And you can see the, the changes take effect in the app. Depending on the size of the app, it could take like half a second or it could take two seconds. Either way, hell of a lot faster than having that whole, doing that whole dance with like closing and, you know, recompiling and blah, blah. So it's absolutely amazing productivity gains that we get here from Hot So, Reload. I mean, 2019 had like edit and continue. Is this Yeah, it's, it's built on top of that. It's actually right. the edit and continue is the foundational mechanism and it was it has been expanded on. So edit and continue itself is actually also much better in 2022 because it got expanded heavily to be able to support these different app types. And and so you're going to see quality there has increased uh, significantly. But yeah, that is the base of this feature, edit and continue. So if you're, if you're in an app and you're debugging 
and you find an issue and you make a change to a code and you save it, would you use set next statement to go back above that debug if you've already passed it? Or would you go to cursor or would it know to go back above? How, how does it handle that kind of scenario? No, no. It will just continue with whatever state it was in, right? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. But you could, if, if you hit a breakpoint with it and then continue, yeah. right, you could change it, just move the marker up and, and you can start from there again. So th- okay. That, 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 yeah. That and, that's, and that's what I was talking about. That doesn't change. Okay. That doesn't change. No. Okay. In fact, it's better, right? Because edit and continue is better. Right. In 2022. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what are the things you want to tell us about that's that's coming out? <laughs> you know, I've, there's there's so much, and I've read about so much stuff, but I don't know. Right. It's it's coming soon. Released is that, when? Uh, not announced. Okay. Not announced. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, hey, we've got preview. So, uh, you know, hey, yeah. download preview. Right. Preview four. Try it out not recently. It's you definitely yeah. want to try it out. Go to visualthrue.com and uh, and play with it. There's a lot of things in there. I I can't even. I don't even where, know where to start. Except for, I think that the, for me, the biggest features are the 64-bit and hot reload. Mm-hmm. I think those are the ones that are, I don't know, more generally just fantastic because they apply kind of everywhere. But but there's definitely things that are worth mentioning, like uh, find in files is like four times faster, nice. which is significant, like absolutely significant, the speed increase. Yeah. C++ Intellis, if you're doing C++, IntelliSense is much, much faster now. Colorization, that sort of stuff. This sometimes been challenging with like these huge C++ projects because the way that they work, they don't have a Roslyn workspace that kind of sits there that has all that information. It's different mechanisms that are, that are required to, to index and, and handle C++. So they've had some issues there, but it's, they're, they're just doubling down on it. It's faster. It's better than ever. So I don't know. It's just, there's so many things. Another thing for C++ is uh, binary compatibility with the old compilers. So if you're, if your stuff, works on 2019 and you're afraid that you can no longer compile if you upgrade to 2022, well, it automatically can use, it ships with the older compilers as well, so you're you're good. They're binary compatible. And so the upgrade is, uh, it should be very, very seamless. And then there's just productivity enhancements in general, like especially for the Roslyn languages, that, that work just continues to get better and better. More refactorings, more cool productivity gains across the board. Cross-platform unit testing, whoa, that's a big one, actually. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you can, you can run. So imagine you have a .NET app, right? And you have unit tests. You can now execute those unit tests in any Linux distro you want that is supported by WSL2. Boom. Like, Boom. Impressive stuff. You can even run it. <laughs> that is Same goes with C++, by the yeah. way, or .NET. If you want to, you can sit in Windows, develop in Visual Studio, right? Your favorite place to be. And you can run and debug your app running in WSL2 in any Linux distro you want. Because in a lot of cases, that simulates or that is the, the production environment. Like, if, for instance, ASP.NET is very common that you, you build it in Windows, but you deploy it to a Linux uh, environment. So now you can actually run it on a Linux environment. You hit F5, set breakpoints, step through, like same thing, right? You run your unit test there. That's a significant sort of, we call it inner loop, like things that we do all the time. We no longer have to wait for a CI build for us to see if our unit tests that run on a Linux server failed or not. We can do them locally. Absolutely fantastic. So anyway, and, yeah. and a lot more. There's so much more stuff too, right? Is everything uh, good uh, that we can start making production applications? I don't think that there's a go live license for the preview yet, but it's like you can you can use it, test out, see if it works for you, all this sort of stuff. It runs side by side with whatever version you have right now. I have 2019, 2022 side by side. They don't interfere with each other. It's all good. So. So the preview here is just like, hey, try it out. See if it's for you. Can you run your apps in it? Can you feel the perf difference, the scalability? Do you get, you know, 
so that you know that once we go uh, GA, when we have our, our final release of 2022, you should, uh, you should jump on it, right? And of course, another benefit of the preview is that if you give us feedback, we might have time to do something about that feedback before we actually ship. So you can have influence on the product, which uh, we welcome very much. Any project types that have been deprecated that, that can't build anymore? That might be. Yes, but I don't do SSIS and all that kind of stuff. It's all good. I don't, I'm not aware of any of that. It's kind of maybe like, okay, great. Actually, there are some that, that people have speculated about for years if we're going to deprecate like web forms. If we're going to say, hey, let's drop web forms and let older versions of Visual Studio take care of that. They've actually gotten a brand new designer based on WebView 2 that will run your app. <laughs> and it's like, so, so even on web forms that you might expect, you get a much better experience. You just and so, made my day. There you go, Sean. Yeah. Right? <laughs> What's yeah. I still do that on a daily basis. So Cool. Yeah, so you're going to be very happy. <laughs> cool. Awesome. All right. Wow. Wow. I am, I'm, I'm excited. I am really yes. excited. I don't get Lots excited very much, stuff. you know. <laughs> are we are we on the air? Yeah. Okay. We're on the air. <laughs> Hold on. Hold you know, on. Except more. for things like Blazor and 64-bit Visual Studio and <laughs> lots of things like that. So Yeah, and this is great. Blazor, there's cool things for Blazor too. And Razor files that's like you now have the um the shortcut for like adding missing using statements, for instance. Or if you rename a class or a code behind it will rename through racer files now as well. Like those things that have bothered people for a long time is now there. So it's just across the board, so many things. It is not just a 64-bit upgrade to 2019. It, it truly is a monumental release. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out. I'm going to try it out. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Forget work. I'll play with Visual Studio 2022. Yeah, right. my boss has actually suggested I download it and start using it for some of the new Blazor apps we're prototyping. So <laughs> there you yeah, go. That's a good idea. You get better experience with Blazor for sure in yeah. 2022. Yeah. Cool. Great. Thanks, Mads. Thanks, Mads. Thanks very much for coming back on the show. It's cool. glad to see you again and hear you and talk to you and yeah. see what's going on. You're welcome. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. All right. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock mountain time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation how do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. 
And I'm really looking forward to helping people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. So I think I'm going to move us into picks and cool. let our listeners know what, what we've been up to, what kind of things we like. You want to go first, Caleb? Sure. So I haven't done a Switch game in a little while, right? I was on a bit of a kick there for <laughs> for for a while. I would do one at least every other week. And my son and I, we play pretty much every day for a little bit. And one of my uh, games that I picked up a while ago, and it's... It's a little older for, for, for older kids. It's called Child of Light. And I started playing it one night and my son was like, oh, you can fly? Like the main character just flies around. And so he and I have started playing it. And he'll fly around until we get to a monster battle or whatever. And then I'll fight the battle. And then he'll keep flying around. <laughs> and so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So, and it's a really good game. It's, it's well designed, well built. So yeah, that's my pick for this week. Child of Light on the Nintendo Switch. All right. Cool. I think I heard they're coming out with a new Switch. Is that right? They've well, they've come out with two new versions. They they already came out with one version where the the processor was better, and they're coming out with another version that's going to have a larger OLED screen. Um, but it's I've still heard, not the Switch Two. About, yeah, yeah. That it's still who knows when the Switch Two is coming out. But yeah, but this will be the third version of the original Switch. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. I'm going to start it off today with kind of a little bit of an anti pick. You know, I've mentioned a couple times in the show that I've been trying to dealing with trading stocks and things like that. And so I went out and bought a, a package that allows you to write C-sharp code to do your start stock trading for you and things like that. And I've been working with it and trying to figure out certain things. And I ran into some bugs and you report it to them. And they said, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. It's the your, it's your broker's problem. It's this problem. Or yeah, we'll take the suggestion and put it on our list. Here's the number. But, you know, then then you just, you know, you look back in the in the suggestions in the forum and it's just it's been the same request for two or three years. And so I'm trying to make this work and I'm still going to keep trying. But uh, this product is called Ninja Trader and it's really meant for doing yeah. It's really meant, meant for doing futures trading. So mm. I don't know if one of the listeners out there are one of the developers for NinjaTrader, please give me a call because I would love to help out fixing some of these bugs that you make a trade and you sell it, but the program still seen, thinks you own that stock. And so you're going and it's going down, down, down. It's like, wait a second, I sold it. Well, you did, but it didn't remove it from the list and other different things, bugs or whatever. So it's like I wrote a little test client to, sh to show them little videos that like, see, it can do it. Don't tell me it can't. And they say, well, yeah, sure. Okay, we'll get to it. So that's my my anti-pick. My my actual good pick is another trading program called Medved Trader. And it's also where you can write C-sharp. And it's the support is just phenomenal. I send them emails. I make posts late at night. And they respond that same night. So I don't know. It's the developers or the owners of this thing are just always working on things and making things better. But this this program is much better support. It's missing some of the features that I want to be able to make some of the trades. But uh, I just I got such a good response from them. I thought I'd give a shout out and maybe if they, they can add some of the features that I want, maybe I'll bring them on the show and they can tell us what it's like to make a stock trading program in C Sharp. Sean, once you get this figured out, if you could just give me that application and tell me how to run it so I can make money, <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> all right. No problem. All right, Mads, 
What kind of pick do you have for us? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think it's going to be this thing that it's not new, but I feel like sometimes the, the best picks are not necessarily new, right? And so this is called, this is an extension from Visual Studio called VS Color Output. So I actually never knew that I had an issue with reading what was in the output window. I thought that was kind of straightforward. And then I saw VS Color Output, which whenever there's an error, it shows up in red. Whenever there's something that succeeded, it shows up in green and so on and so forth. It makes my life so much easier. I can now scan very quickly my output window to see all the messages there. And it all makes sense at a glance. I had no idea I needed this as much as I uh, as I did. So uh, I can highly recommend that VS Color Output. Awesome. Thanks very much, Mads. Yeah, it was definitely good to have you on the show again. Uh, we're going to have not, to. Uh, let's not wait two years. Next right. Time. That's what I was going to say. I think there's probably a lot more to cover that's going on <laughs> with things you know, oh, yeah. sometime maybe a year from now. I can go on for hours. So. All right. Well, so, so can just we. make multiple shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cut it into pieces and keep on going. Right. <laughs> All right. Yep. Thanks again. If people want to reach out and they might have some questions or feedback for you, how, what's the best way they can do that? Well, the best way is on Twitter, which is uh, M Christensen. I get a lot of questions and stuff there and I try to answer them all. So that's a really good one. Uh, YouTube, I have a show every Friday. So if you like uh, Visual Studio extensions, if you like kind of more advanced Visual Studio topics, I just started a new show. It's kind of a rename of, of my extension show, but we're now calling it Hacking Visual Studio. So we're, we're looking at like, how do we get under the hood and, and customize Visual Studio? And maybe there's some interviews with some of the engineers uh, in the future as well. So that's a really good place to be. It's live. And so there is a great chance to use the chat and I will answer all the questions coming in that way as well. So those are the two primaries. Of course, if you want to check out what I'm coding on, go to github.com slash Mads Christensen. And uh, there's always a lot of action going on there, I think, at least for me. I don't know how busy you guys are in GitHub, but for me, it's like, yeah, I'm doing stuff on there. And uh, if you want to if you want to hang out and uh, participate in any of that sort of stuff, that's a good place to reach out as well. Great. All right. If our listeners want to reach out and get in touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you. We'd like to hear your feedback. Let us know what we can cover as a topic or what we can do better to make the show more enjoyable to you. You can reach me. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, da, 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 da. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm at Caleb Wells Codes. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah. There you go. See? <laughs> <laughs> Got to get some, Got something for you, Caleb, there. <laughs> Thank right. you, sir. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch everyone on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.